WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. Coming up at the top of the hour, Mayor Eric Adams will join us. That just got scheduled over the weekend. We had already planned to talk in this next segment about one of the highlights from the mayor's State of the City address last week. He became the first mayor in the country to officially declare social media a public health hazard. We'll see if that leads to any restrictive policies for minors and social media. I'll ask the mayor about that when he comes on. Florida is considering locking out kids under 16 from many platforms as an example of a bill that's being considered somewhere. We'll also talk in this segment to a New York state senator who has a bill for some new kind of regulation here, and we'll ask the mayor about it when he comes on. And since he declared it a public health hazard, we called a public health professor to put the issue in public health context. We will meet the professor in a minute, but first, here's the mayor during his State of the City address last week. Companies like TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, book, are fueling a mental health crisis by designing their platforms with addictive and dangerous features. We cannot stand by and let big tech monetize our children's privacy and jeopardize their mental health. That's why today, Dr. Fasan, Ashwin Fasan, is issuing a health commissioner advisory, officially designated social media as a public health crisis has it in New York City. Great job. We are the first major city in America to take this step and call out the danger of social media like this. Mayor Adams last week with us now, Catherine Keyes, professor of epidemiology at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Dr. Keyes, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me. So you heard the mayor's language there. Companies like TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, fueling a mental health crisis by designing the platforms with addictive and dangerous features. Would you at the Mailman School say public health crisis? Um, Certainly we do know that there is a mental health crisis among adolescents and young adults uh, across the United States. And really over the last 10 years, we've seen um, uh, over a 50% increase in in serious depression and anxiety among uh, among teens and among young adults in this country. So that is certainly true. Uh, The role of social media continues to uh, be be researched. 
And and certainly we know that um, when we look at factors such as the amount of time that teens are spending on social media, that's less correlated with mental health problems than what they're doing when they're on the platform. So that certainly where I agree with the mayor that um, more regulation and more attention needs to be drawn. And listeners, um, I want to invite parents of current Uh, children or young teenagers, let's say, to call in and say, at the policy level, would you actually like to see New York State or New York City or any other entity actually ban or otherwise restrict your kids from any particular social media platforms? This is what they're considering in Florida explicitly. We'll hear from New York State Senator Andrew Gennardis in a minute what he's proposing in Albany right now. What Parents, what do you want in the law to protect your kids from the potential harms from social media? Or is it all on you? 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Be really interested to take any parents' calls on this now that it's moving into the legislative realm. 212 433 9692. Uh, you can also text to that number. I, I do see, Professor, that back in 2020, you and your colleagues at Columbia published research in the Journal of Adolescent Health that showed yeah. that daily social media use is not, quote, a strong or consistent risk factor for depressive symptoms among adolescents. Seems maybe contra, uh, contrary to what. Right. At least we're hearing from from the lawmakers now. So, so what did you find exactly? Yeah, and um, that study is consistent with a number of different reviews and meta analyses, which are when, where we combine research from a lot of different studies. There are two hundred and fifty different studies right now um, that basically show what what we found, which is that when you look at things like going on social media every day, or even the amount of time that teens are spending on these platforms. That's not really the relevant metric when it comes to mental health. You know, just just saying spending time on social media is not a strong or consistent risk factor for mental health problems. And in all of the studies that I have done and many others have done as well, where we see problems is in the particular content that some teens are viewing. Teens, for example, who have mental health problems, who engage in content that's related to self-harm. Teens who are posting images of their body um, and engaging with a lot of um, content around body image. We're seeing teens report more disordered eating, for example. Um, So these types and patterns of social media use that are particularly problematic are where we need to focus attention as both parents and clinicians and policymakers. Um, Because when we just look at the amount of times that our teens are spending online, it's it's just not really correlated. So can they do that? Can they thread the needle in the way that you're describing at the policy level, in your opinion, if you go to the policy level? Um, Yeah, I I believe that there are different policy levers, both from from the the company standpoint and from a legislative standpoint around the the types and interactions of, of, 
of content that kids are consuming. For example, there's a lot of right now online forums where um, that are social media related, where teens can log in and discuss really problematic content related to self harm. And there are a number of different legislative efforts that have been made in trying to regulate these types of sites that give teens dangerous information about topics related to self-harm. So that's one example of ways that um, at a legislative level we could intervene here. Interesting. All right. Well, also joining us now briefly to explain two bills that he has co-sponsored in the New York State Legislature is New York State Senator Andrew Gennardis. He represents District 26, that's Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, the Columbia Street Waterfront District, Dumbo, Diker Heights, Fort Hamilton, Gowanus Park Slope, Red Hook, South Slope, Sunset Park, Big District in Brooklyn. Senator Granardis, welcome back to WNYC. Thank you for giving us a few minutes. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for being here. So what would your bills do? So we have two bills that we're working on right now. One is called the Safe for Kids Act. It is the Stop Addictive Feeds Exploitation for Kids Act, which basically says that as a default option, social media apps cannot use addictive algorithms to generate content to show to users under the age of 18. Instead, those users would receive a chronological feed of the people they choose to follow, their friends, their family, the Taylor Swift fan page, whatever. But they would not be subject to this endless... Um, curation of content that, that is not what they signed up to see that leads them to spend either 20 minutes or three hours kind of scrolling indefinitely uh, through their feeds uh, because we feel that that is one of the most aggressive harms that social media is causing on young people. Um, the second bill is called the Child Data Privacy Protection Act and it would stop, uh, it would prohibit internet companies from collecting personal data from users under the age of 18 and then using that data for commercial purposes. This is already federal law for kids under the age of 13 through the last time Congress took action to protect kids online, COPPA, Child Online Privacy Protection Act. That was in 1998 when we were still getting AOL disks in the mail and still getting on the internet with dial-up. So we are trying to update COPPA and New York state law and bringing that age standard up to the age of, uh, of 18. We think that both, things, both of these things together will help break the hold that social media companies have on young kids. And, you know, there was a Harvard study that came out just a week or two ago. These companies made $11 billion in ad sales off of addicting our kids to the content that they're showing on these platforms. And, and that's really problematic. Let me take a phone call. Here is Jasper in Astoria. You're on WNYC. Hi, Jasper. Thanks so much for calling in. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I am so happy to hear about this. I think, so I told you, Screener, I was born in 2000. I came of age around the time that Instagram, like when I was in middle school is when Instagram came around. Uh -huh. So the content itself is not really, I mean, it's a concern, obviously, but I think it's kind of Pandora's box. And when you talk about anything, I mean, the things that my generation has seen on the internet is not nice, but I, the algorithm really is the issue to me. And I mean, I'm so excited to hear that that's, uh, that there's a proposal to regulate that because it's, it's incredible the way that you can open it for one moment and time has gone by. And I wanted to, I mean, TikTok has this feature where after a certain amount of scrolling, mm -hmm. a, a TikTok, uh, you know, a, a, a post comes up that says, hey, you've been scrolling for too long. It's like, at what point 
when a company has to tell you, hey, this product is bad for you, stop using it, it's, it's just completely absurd. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it's part of the breakdown in reality that's going on with deep fakes, with all these other sort of things, when people are just so absorbed. Anyways, I, just, this, I think this is great, and I really support it. Jasper, thank you very much. Um, he talked about the, the scrolling and the scrolling and the scrolling, and so did the senator. Um, Professor Keyes, let me play a clip of one of the lawmakers in Florida and the language that they are using kind of around this idea. And I know you said before, it's not so much the amount of time that kids are spending on social media. It's the danger of some of the particular content, like self-harm related content. But here is Florida State Representative um, McFarland, don't have a first name, a Republican from Sarasota and co-sponsor of this legislation. I'm sorry, Fiona McFarland. I do have that name now. Speaking on the House floor last Wednesday in Tallahassee. It's like a digital fentanyl, and even the most plugged-in parent or attuned teen has a hard time shutting the door. Yeah, and she said these dopamine hits are so addictive, it's like a digital fentanyl. What, what, what do you, those are medical, you know, kind of references. So how do they strike you as a professor of public health? Yeah, there have been a number of scales that have been developed that have tried to assess this concept of sort of social media addiction. And, you know, the 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 items that they've used and across different studies to measure social media addiction are kind of similar to what we uh, measure in other types of addictive substances as well, wanting to stop and not being able to, spending excessive effort to ensure continuous access, craving to use the product, um, lying or deceptive behavior around the product. And when they've used these skills in, in studies, what we find is that teens and adolescents who report higher levels of those types of behaviors do have more mental health problems. Um, but there's wide variation in the population in who reports those kinds of, of addictive symptoms, um, you know, a, a across different population subgroups. So I don't think we have the evidence or the science right now to say that social media is universally a digital fentanyl. But certainly we do know that some kids and adolescents, and by the way, adults too, uh, report some really problematic behaviors related to their social media use that infringe with their daily lives. Um, Senator Gennardis, this seems to be a conservative Republican push in Florida. Uh, it, it seems to be led by some conservatives there. It's passed the House now. It's going to the Florida State Senate to literally ban people, I'm not sure if it's 16 and under or it's under 16, but around there from many of the primary social media sites and kick those currently with accounts there off the platform. Um, have you as a New York Democrat considered going that far? No, we have not. I'll say, by the way, our legislation in both the Assembly and the Senate has bipartisan support and about 30 co-sponsors across the legislature on both Democrat and Republican. We don't think about going that far because we think that that runs up against significant First Amendment concerns. Um, as much as sometimes we might want to take social media away from kids or ban certain types of content, we do have to operate within the the, the structures of our of our um, of our constitutional protections, and that includes the First Amendment. And so we never seriously thought that from a legal standpoint, 
our public policy could go so far as to say we're going to just remove this entirely from this population of people. Um, right. they, they, I'm sure the legislators in Florida have a, are thinking about it differently. Uh, we just didn't think that that made sense from a legal or constitutional perspective. And on the idea, even though this isn't exactly your bill in New York, uh, on the idea of banning people categorically by age, listener rights, last time I checked, age on social media was simply volunteered by the individual. How could we possibly prevent a teen from just lying about their birthday? Um, but I do see that the Florida legislation would require them to use a third party for age verification services, um, and uh, and 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 there you go. So I'm 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 curious. Well, maybe, Professor, this is for you. As a matter of policy, I don't know if you have experience in this realm, you know, with anything else. But do age-related bans work, or there there are just too many ways to get around it? Certainly, we know with the with voluntary birth dates that there is that many teens and young people do lie about their age to log into platforms at ages younger than recommended. Um, so, a third party verification system certainly would cut down on that uh, on that level of of young people engaging in ways that they're not intended to by the platforms themselves. Do you have any comment on? The New York legislation, uh, this might be first blush. I don't know if you heard it before yeah. Senator Gennardis just summarized his bills a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, my overall take is that, you know, there there are, you know, kind of banning social media entirely for people in this age group certainly will have some population mental health benefits. But I think it's also important to recognize that there are certain groups who receive a lot of benefit from positive social connections through social networking sites. When we look at queer, gay, and non-binary youth, they have four to five times the risk of suicidal behavior and, and fatal suicide in this country. And many of them, there's a sufficient evidence base around the importance of online social connections, especially for kids who are in places where they don't feel comfortable being out. Um, kids with mental health problems. Um, while there are is really problematic content online for kids with mental health problems, there's also ways that kids reach out and find support. So, you know, um, banning mm -hmm. social media entirely is a blunt tool and will have some benefits and potentially some harms as well. Do you feel, Senator, that your bills would continue to enable uh teens and, and other young people who are finding meaningful community there, uh, you know, that they may not be able to find anywhere else, such as the LGBTQ examples that the professor was just given, that they will still be able to do that under your bills? We uh, absolutely, you know, anyone, uh, teen, adult, anyone who wants to search for specific subject matter, specific hashtags, specific pages, is will totally be able to do so under our bill. All we're saying is that the algorithm cannot self-generate the next piece of content that is shown on a minor's feed automatically. Um, because there is some benefit and there are populations that certainly do benefit from positive social connections. But at the same time, some of these very vulnerable communities, some of the, the challenges that they face stem from the abuses of social media. Just think how easy it has been. It was in the news for the last year plus for someone to get access to like Andrew Tate videos, right? Here's someone who's spreading really toxic, noxious content that is uh, misogynistic, homophobic, and, and so on and so on. And it's so easily accessible just by searching one type of video 
5, 10, 15 minutes later, that content will be shown on your feed automatically. So we do have to put some protections in place, even for those most vulnerable users, so that we can enhance their experience and allow them to be able to find the resources and the community and the connections that they want without being subjected to content that they're not asking to see or content that is being shown to them just based on what their profile says, what videos they've clicked on in the past, what videos they've paused on in the past, where they are geographically, and so on and so on and so on. That's what the algorithm is doing right now. It's taking all of these intangible data points and assuming this is what the user wants to see, even if it's not. And that, we think, uh, is what's causing a significant part of the harm here. Let me get one more call in here from a parent before we run out of time. Nikki in Morristown. You're on WNYC. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I would have to say I'm, I generally align uh, on the left. You know, I'm, I'm pretty open. But I, I do feel like as parents, you know, you don't get a lot of support. I mean, for example, I had my, my son on something called Google Family Link, which is something where you can actually monitor their apps and you can give them like only five minutes on TikTok or, you know, and it's really useful. You can also monitor how long they can use the, the, the phone. And when my son turned 13, he got an email saying, the law is that now you can manage that. So your mother's no longer in charge. You can manage that. And uh, that's outrageous, the age of 13. I mean, you know, for kids, it's hard. It's hard. You know, all these games, it's like a bottomless pit. You can play video games for 10 hours. I mean, if there is no kind of limit on this online access. Do you think that the law could do anything that you can't do as a parent? Well, I mean, I was able to control his data through Family Link. But then there is a law somewhere that says at 13, he can manage that, yeah. which means at, at the, from the age of 13, you know, for, through Google Family Link, I could, I could um, remove access to any type of yes. known but, pornography. But now, but, or yes. I, but know, now 13, not. Yeah, but these are laws that are put in place by, uh, you know, I don't know if it's Congress, uh, but I mean... Yeah, well, that's a good question, and Nikki, I'm going to leave it there because we're running out of time, and you put such an important question on the table. I want Senator Gernardis to have a chance to respond. I'm not familiar with that particular 13-year-old, uh, you know, independence law that she's referring to, or if that's real. Do you know that reference? The only law that exists right now that's a federal law to regulate kids and the Internet is that legislation I said earlier, COPPA, Child Online Privacy Protection Act, which basically only applies to kids under the age of 13. And it has very strong privacy protections for how kids under the age of 13 can access the Internet, what type of data of theirs can be collected, how that data can be used. So uh, I, I feel very reasonably confident to say that that's the law she's referencing. But again, that law was passed in 1998 when we were still getting America Online discs mailed to our homes. Um, And the Internet has changed a thousand times over since then. Our laws need to come up with the times as well. State Senator Andrew Gennardis of Brooklyn, Catherine Keyes, professor of epidemiology at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank Thank you. you.